The text for this morning's sermon is 1 Samuel 21, all 15 verses, 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 15. Turning back to 1 Samuel, you'll remember that King Saul's animosity towards David has been growing over the last few chapters, and uh, we pick up in verse, or in chapter 21, where David is now on the run from Saul. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread. For there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did not did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David took the words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought, me, brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Let's pray. Father, we come to you now and pray the words of the song we just sang. Cause our faith to rise and our eyes to see. Lord, we know that our faith is strengthened by your word when we trust in it by faith. Lord, I pray You would strengthen us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. 
They say the biggest theological question there is is the problem of evil. The toughest one to answer. What do we do when someone says, oh, so your God's all-powerful and He's almighty and He's all-good and this event just happened? We have to admit, it's tough to know how to respond to difficult circumstances. So here's my question this morning. During the trials and troubles and tribulations of your life, what do you do? How do you answer your heart? What's your response to the most trying circumstances of life. As we're going to see, David is in an almost inconceivable situation for us that none of us have quite experienced what David is experiencing at this time. So what do you do when life gets difficult? So often, we are paralyzed in these circumstances with fear and trembling. So often, if we're not paralyzed, we're scrambling to or fro to quickly try to build a foundation under our feet so that our fears don't seem so terrifying. The popular thing today is to find someone to blame. Maybe one of the most frustrating things about watching TV or the news is if anything bad happens, all is they ever talk about is who is to blame? Whose fault is this? And all too often, I know for myself, my response in those circumstances is complaining and pouting and feeling sorry for myself. And the question I want you to consider this morning is, and for you to think about honestly, is what happens during those circumstances of life? Because I'm going to present to you that if you're led by the Holy Spirit, and if you submit to the Holy Spirit and walk with Him rather than away from Him, your response can be something like what we see in this text. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I'm not David, and God hasn't especially given me the Spirit. David had the Holy Spirit with him. We have the Holy Spirit in us. David was worried about losing the Holy Spirit. We will never lose the Holy Spirit. So what has David been doing? Let's just put ourselves in his shoes. Since chapter 19, he's been running from Saul who's trying to kill him. Twice, Saul has thrown a spear at him. In chapter 19, he is saved five different times 
through the work of five different people or groups of people. Even Saul himself, if you remember, strips himself naked and begins to prophesy so that David is protected. Saul's going to kill him. The soldier Saul sent to kill him began to prophesy. Michael saved him. And so we just, in that message, I remember we sat there and thought, can you imagine that those sets of circumstances that he was in? And then in chapter 20, we see David trying to convince Jonathan that his dad really does want to kill him. Jonathan finding out this is true and this is where they were going to shoot the arrow into the field. And what we saw in there is a peace that surpasses all understanding because David had a covenant relationship with Jonathan. It's amazing. In the midst of those circumstances in those two chapters, God provides protection. And in this covenant relationship, David finds hope. And that brings us to the ongoing unfolding circumstances of these events as Saul's trying to kill him to chapter 21. I think things are getting worse. Look at what he says in verse 1. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. Now, Nob was about two miles northeast of Jerusalem. It's the uh, new Shiloh. The priests used to dwell at Shiloh. Now it seems that they've moved to Nob. And that's where David flees to. And he goes to the priest there, Ahimelech. And if you were going to track who is Ahimelech, well, he is the um, son of Ahitub and the brother of Ahijah from Eli's line. If you remember way back to 1 Samuel, and when God put a curse on Eli's line. And we'll think about that more next week. But this is who this priest is. And he, he shows up here. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling and said to him, why are you alone and no one with you? This is really odd. David oversees the bodyguards of Saul. Under no circumstance should David arrive alone with no soldiers, with, with uh, no army with him. Ahimelech knows something is up. We don't know if he already knows that uh, Saul is trying to kill David. We don't know those details, but we do know he's trembling. Why is no one with you? Now think for a minute. Put yourself in David's shoes. We saw five people the Lord used to help save him. Then we saw this covenant relationship with Jonathan. But now, he's alone. Now he arrives with no one with him. And David said to Ahimelech the priest in verse 2, the king has charged me with the matter and said to me, let no one know anything 
of the matter about which I send you and with which I charge you. I've made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, whatever is here. And the priest answered David and said, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly, women have been kept from us, as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more will their vessels be holy today? So the priest gave him, the priest gave him the holy bread, and there was no bread there but the bread of the presence which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now when you look at this, it's tempting to evaluate whether or not David is sinning or not. Because it seems like he's making up a story to save his hide. It seems like he is lying. I know some commentators tried to say he's not technically lying because the appointment he, or the appointment from the king he has is from the Lord the king. So some people try to get David out of hot water that way. But the writer of this text doesn't tell us one way or another. I don't think the point of this text is whether or not David was right in making up a story or not. I think what's amazing here is that God provides David with bread. He shows up alone. Not only is he alone, is he alone? He's on the run from Saul, but he doesn't even have food to eat. Have you ever been in that position? where someone's seeking your life and you don't even know where your next meal is coming from. But God provides bread through Ahimelech, the high priest. Ahimelech is breaking the rules. Only the sons of Aaron, according to the law, can eat the bread of the presence. But for this special one, on this special occasion, Ahimelech offers him bread. Ralph Dale Davis rightfully asked such a provoking question here, I think. He says, there may well be a word in David's provision for the contemporary Christian. One may be under a heavy load boxed in and pressed down under various vocational, emotional, spiritual, or circumstantial pressures. But I am, but am I still eating today? At least once. Doesn't God's small provision in my big problems tell me something? When everything is scraped down to the bone, I receive my daily bread not because I am godly, but because Yahweh is gracious, doesn't it assure me that God has not yet cast me off? When I read this, I was just struck. 
if I'm in David's shoes and I'm running for my life and I don't even know if there's food to eat and God provides me bread, is the lesson to learn that I don't ever deserve any provision for a meal? But He's at least given me one provision today? It's amazing that God provides for him. During the trials and troubles and tribulations of life, recognize the Lord's provisions for you. Whether it's one meal a day. You see, when you're sitting there and you're looking at your circumstances and you decide to go through how unfair this is and you never get to the obvious provisions that the Lord is giving you, your daily bread then we end up in a place that does not see God for who He really is. We buy in to the lie of who our Lord is. And then, look at verse 8. And David's, or then in verse 7, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. He said this little parenthetical comment. It's kind of like a movie scene where the camera's on David and you have this conversation between him and Ahimelech. And as they're talking, the camera turns to one who's there. And he's got a crooked nose and evil eyes. And you just kind of know something's up. Why throw this verse in here? He's there. And then in verse 8, David says to Ahimelech, Then have you not a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. Will you take that? Take it, for there is none, for there is none but that here. David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. So David shows up alone. He doesn't have food and he doesn't have a weapon. And he leaves this place with Bread and a weapon. And God has provided for him in the midst of the most scary day of his life up to this point. And then we see scene 2. Look at verse 10. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, (laughs) let's just stop for a minute and think. He went where? He went to Achish, the king of Gath. Where's Goliath from? He's from Gath. (laughs) And what does David have with him? Bread and what? Goliath's sword. Now, desperate people do desperate things. And you learn how desperate a circumstances they're in by what they're willing to do or where they're willing to go. I remember 
watching this movie about American soldiers that that are outnumbered. There's five Marines. That I think the movie is called Last Man Standing. Our lone survivor. And these guys are jumping off cliffs. I mean, things we wouldn't even think of doing. Why are they doing it? They're in the worst circumstances of their life. They have no other option but to jump off cliffs and risk their lives. So here's David. He hopes to go undercover. But verse 11 tells us, and the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul is struck down as thousands. David is ten thousands. So evidently the Philistines are buying the CDs that the Israelites have. They know the songs that are being sung in Israel. And they recognize David as the one who struck down Goliath. David took these words to heart. His plans failed him. He's not going to be undercover. He was much afraid of Achish the king. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man, you see the man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you've brought this man to me? You know, some will say, look, look, look what happens when you start sinning. When you start not trusting in God or running to the enemy. Look, look at what happens, someone might say. You turn out like a fool with spit running down your beard, having to pretend you're someone you're not. Is that the point of this text? I don't think it is. And the reason why is because we're given more information. We're given more evidence on the heart of David. Let's just, let's just be a little gracious here. He is in extreme circumstances. And he gets out of the clutches of Achish just barely. And then chapter 22 starts like this. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. He's on, he's on the run. He's running to a cave. And here's my question. What happened from the time of spit dripping down his beard to the moment he got to the cave of Adullam? What was David thinking about God? What was David thinking about his circumstances? I want you to turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34 gives us a picture right in to David's heart at this moment. Because the title of this psalm, and this is in the manuscripts, it's a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and went away. Alright? He wrote two songs 
while he was on the run. And so in the original question, during trials, troubles, and tribulations of life, one, recognize God's provision. And two, worship God. Look at what David wrote during this time. I will bless the Lord at all times. Isn't it amazing when you understand the circumstance He's in? His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Lesson one. David is in circumstances, the most extreme circumstances, and said he was delivered from his fears by trusting in the Lord. And then look at what he goes on to say. Verse 5, those who look at him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. I mean, when, when I would read this type of psalm before, I would just think, these psalms drive me crazy. God doesn't rescue us out of all of our troubles. This is hyperbole. This isn't true. Well, David's writing this in the midst of terrible trouble. And he hasn't been rescued yet. So what in the world is he talking about? What is he looking to when he says things like this? Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Think for a minute. Think. In His trials, troubles, and tribulations, He's singing a song saying, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I think I could find different words to write in the song. Like, have you anointed me to kill me? Is anything going to go right ever? That'd be my song. But somehow, David sings, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then verse 9, Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. If you come to Him, you will get filled. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see, see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The, these, these are sweet words. He turns it towards us. He's not just talking about His deliverance, but from verse 15 to the end of this psalm, eat up these words. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and His ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the 
to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Think of that. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He will keep all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. If David was your biblical counselor in the midst of your most scary moment on life, in life, he would say, oh, the afflictions are many for the righteous. Oh, the pain is deep. But you will not come to the Lord and be found empty. He is faithful. If you take refuge in Him, you will find salvation and life. And then turn to 56, Psalm 56. Let's just get another look into David's heart. Psalm 56, and the title to this is To the Choir Master, According to the Dove on the Far Off Terebinths, a victim of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. So the exact same circumstance. He also writes this song, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in You. In God, whose Word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? I love the, I just love the Bible. What can flesh do to me? Then read verse 5. All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps. They've waited for my life. What can, what can flesh do to me? They can seek to kill you. The king of the land can be after you, seeking to destroy you. Not long after this, his whole army has one cause, and it's to kill David. Can you imagine? But what does he say? They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps. They've waited for my life. For their crime, will they escape? He asks. In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Just stop for a minute. Here's what David knows. Every sleepless night that he tossed in fear, every tear he's ever cried, he knows that it's in a bottle that God has and it's ordained. God hasn't shut His eyes to David's suffering. He knows 
every tear that's ever fallen, we forget our tears. He doesn't. And right before this, he says, the Lord's not going to forget the oppressors. The Lord's not going to forget those who do evil. Tell me. Tell me how much comfort this is. You have kept count. There's a number on them of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. We better know this. In the midst of the trial that you don't have an answer for, you better know God is for you. That He's kept every tear. And He knows. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, how can David be like this? He rejoices in this Word of God. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to You, O God. I will render thank offerings to You in the midst of the most difficult day of my life. I recognize Your provision. I recognize Your love for me. I recognize Your for me. For You have delivered from death Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. He can write two songs about walking in the light of life in the most dark circumstances of life. And it's amazing. It's supernatural. Because I could say, what do you mean you walk in the light of life? You're not out of the woods yet. They're still after you. You're still going to hide in a cave. What can flesh do to me, he says? The Lord has my bones even if I die and I rot. The Lord knows where those bones are. They're not forgotten. They're kept. They're coming back to life. So during the trials, troubles, and tribulations of life, recognize the Lord's provision and worship the Lord. Taste and see that He is good even in the darkest days of your life. In order to do this, in order to have these promises, you need to understand the most grave circumstances of your life are not these things that happen on this earth. The most grave circumstances of all of our life are when our sins come before a holy God. What we call a trial is not a trial compared to when a sinner has to answer his Creator. David had just promised the righteous will have life and the wicked will be cut off. In, in uh, Psalm 34.16, the face of the Lord is against those who de- do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. And then in verse 21, affliction will slay the wicked. Those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Listen to me. 
step one in finding comfort in the Lord is to recognize your worst circumstance is not what you're going through now or went through last week, but it's the fact that you're the wicked and I'm the wicked. And we will be condemned apart from becoming righteous somehow. Jesus spoke these words, John 16.33, I said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. Be at peace. Life's going to stink. It's going to be hard. But take heart. I've overcome the world. You need to know, love, and trust the righteous one to be counted righteous. This is the good news of the Gospel. If you trust in the only one who never sinned, you will be gifted a gift called righteousness. Let me remind you of these promises in Psalm 34. Verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. Wouldn't that promise be amazing? But it's for the righteous. And then 20, He keeps all His bones. None of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Here's how you take refuge in God. Paul said, spoke of David in Romans 4. Here's how you become the righteous. Romans 4, verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. God didn't receive Abraham and justify him because he was a good guy. He did it because he believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. How can we be counted before God's judgment seat as righteous? Verse 4, he goes on, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, do you believe God can justify sinners? The ungodly? The one who believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom the Lord or God counts righteousness apart from works, here's what David knew. Blessed are those who lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Here's what David knew. The righteous ones are the one whom the Lord forgives and doesn't count their sins against them anymore, but gifts them righteousness. The reason why we can be on a 
firm foundation in the midst of trials, in the midst of tribulations, is that the One who bled and died for you was God's own Son. And out of His own mouth, He said, yes, you're going to have tribulations, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Your bones are secure. Your life is secure. You can worship and find life in the midst of pure darkness. My prayer is that everyone here would know and trust in Christ. It's the only way you can be counted righteous. It's a gift and it's not by works that any should boast. Let's pray. Father, You are so kind to give us Your Word, the testimony of David's life, to give David the faith and to so work by helping him speak in the Holy Spirit these two Psalms where You are the one teaching us how to walk through circumstances like this. Oh Lord, You know You're the only one that can satisfy. Help us hear the cry of Your Word that You love us and that You've provided righteousness for us so that we can have peace and that we can be assured that we will be delivered. Lord, help our faith to rise. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.